Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Takeout ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. This, as you know, folks, is our Thanksgiving weekend show. We're going to be talking about a film you can see in movie theaters or you can watch on Netflix. The title of which is Rustin. About Bayard Rustin. A fascinating, sometimes overlooked part of American history and the story of the March on Washington. And I want to bring to your attention one of the actors in the great movie, Rustin, Glenn Turman, who plays A. Philip Randolph, a significant figure in his own right. We'll get to that in a second. Glenn, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Jim. Thank you for having me. Man. Uh Tell me about the process of putting together the film, Rustin, and what you hope audiences will take from it. Well, Higher Ground is a production company that put mm-hmm. this together. And Higher Ground, of course, is uh, created by the Obamas. This mm-hmm. is their new production. Um, President Obama, Barack Obama, and Michelle Obama. And they've gone into show business. And what a leap they have taken. (laughs) Uh, And they started with a character and a subject matter that, of course, is close and dear to their heart and uh, is too long coming in in the telling of this story. Um, President Obama gave uh, Bayard Rustin a, a Medal of Honor. Presidential Medal of Freedom, yes. Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, which was a noble gesture as a man who definitely deserved it. And apparently he wasn't uh, just kidding about that. He wanted to let everybody know why this guy got this award. And the best way I think he figured was to tell the story of who this guy was, you know, and uh, so, therefore, we have Rustin. Now, to put that together, to make all that happen, he called on a young man by the name of George C. Wolf. Mm-hmm. And George C. Wolf is a five-time Tony Award-winning director. I've Towering had the figure. Working here. So, tower, little guy, with a, but a giant. <laughs> you know, a little giant. And... Um, he, I had the pleasure of working with, and I hope most of your viewers or listeners have seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on mm-hmm. Netflix as well. So he put yep. the band of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom back together and uh, to help him bring forth the story of Bayard Rustin. And uh, this is today, I think, is the opening day for Netflix. 
Yes. So everybody across the world can see it. Right. We're recording this on November 17th. And so, yes, today, November 17th, by the time our audience hears it, will be a week old. But, yes, November 17th, it becomes oh, okay, available. Okay. Right, um, right. And, and Glenn Turman, you play a Philip Randolph. It occurred to me watching the film, which I've watched twice, it's that good, ladies and gentlemen, that there could be, I and mean, there eventually might be a movie called Randolph, because a Philip Randolph is a massive figure earlier in the civil rights struggle than fired Rustin. What component part does a philip randolph play in the story that this movie tells because it's really important a philip randolph was responsible for integrating the armed forces mm -hmm. making that happen and also uh for uh creating the uh um pullman's porter's union mm -hmm. he was a union man union organizer and it was his, his dream actually to also have had that march on Washington, but he failed in his attempt uh, some 10 years prior to that, to, to when it actually did happen. Now, what kind of stood him apart was that with all the controversy around Bayard Rustin, uh, his lifestyle, his choices, his uh, openness, A. Philip Randolph was one of the only men who stood by him, mm -hmm. by Rustin. Yep. He was the one who said, I don't care about your, you know, your choices, your lifestyle, who you mm -hmm. are. I don't care who you've chosen to love. Uh, you are my friend. You're good at what you do. And we can't do this without you. So he went against all, a lot of, uh, you know, the, 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 the organizers of that day for, for you know, NAACP, for SNCC, CORE, uh, you right. know, congressmen and so on and so forth. So, he's, so he was a staunch ally of A. Philip Randolph, I mean, of uh, Byatt Rustins, and, uh, and made sure that he stayed the course. And for those who are coming to this topic uh, with less then they will get, in terms of knowledge, on the other side of the movie. Bayard Rustin had one time had communist affiliations, very short-lived, but they kept cropping up, and the criticism of him, of the organization of the march, of the civil rights movement generally, he was an openly gay black man. That was used against him, the associations, his proclivities, his attitudes. That was something that was not only potentially weaponized by critics of the march in the white community, the white press, as it's referred to in the movie, but some within the civil rights community itself. That was a point of tension, and it was a recurring point of tension. And A. Philip Randolph, as the movie clearly shows, was one of the few stalwart buffers in defense of Bayard Rustin. It's a wonderful role. I was honored to play it. You know, uh, George offered me that role. I said, oh, my God, you know, this is an iconic figure. This is an iconic movie. You know, uh, are you sure you want me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I couldn't persuade him otherwise, and I didn't try hard uh, to to not use me. I was just on it. And, uh, you know, and all of the wonderful things that came along with it, meeting uh over over the uh, um, Zoom, we had, had a chance to talk with with uh, Barack Obama, you know, and uh, that was a wonderful story. And I tell tell you a short story if you don't sure, mind. Please, please. So please. when I mentioned earlier that we had some trouble with the movie because of the the uh, pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. so we had to we had to shut down production for some time, and so to keep everybody's spirits up. We get we got uh, word came to us that we were going to have a Zoom call with the president, with Ob President Obama. <laughs> and uh, so everybody, you know, I'm here right where I am now, sitting and talking with you, you know, in my little office here in Hollywood and in California. And uh, I tell my wife, you got to be quiet. I'm going to be on Zoom with Obama. So keep everything quiet down here. Blah, blah, blah. She said, you're going to be talking to Michelle going to be there too? I said, I don't know. Michelle's going to be there. But she's going to have, she's going to have 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. I can't be late. I can't. 
So sure enough, he gets on, and there we are. We're talking with him, and he's telling us to hang in there. Don't worry. We're going to go back and get the stuff that we didn't get, you know. And and so all of a sudden, my there's a door behind me that I've tried to angle out because all of a sudden during that call, it starts creaking open, and I can see it. I can see it on the Zoom call. And of course, it's my wife, and she's sticking her hand in, and she's waiting. <laughs> she just had, had to see the president, you know. Couldn't believe he was in the office, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. Oh, that is the Zoom call of all Zoom calls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, Glenn, uh, we're going to head to segment two. I'm going to talk to Emil Amin, who plays Martin Luther King Jr. in the film. Then we're going to talk to Coleman Domingo. So thank you for your time. Congratulations on the movie. And I, it's been an honor to talk to you, honor to meet you, and I appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you again. You too. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Welcome back to The Takeout, your Thanksgiving weekend edition. I've told you what I think humbly is a suggestion. You should, at least at one level or another, think about, write down as something you're thankful for, the March on Washington, 1963. You might also, this weekend, enjoy a movie. I highly recommend Rustin, about Bayard Rustin. And now we are joined by Amel Amin who plays Martin Luther King Jr. in that film. Amel, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining us. It's great to meet you. Great to see you, mate. Nice to meet you, too. Um, when you just said Amel Amin, who's playing Martin Luther King, it doesn't cease to amaze me that I got this opportunity and and and, and just, like, what that means, Martin Luther King, to America, but also around the world, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, this figure to us, yeah. That's where I want to start, Amel, um, because I have to believe that for an actor getting a role like that is a spectacular opportunity but i imagine it also comes with a, a unique burden like we have an image we have a sense we have a a belief in this larger than life person in some cases a marbleized person who seems untouchable unreachable and you have to play them as a human being mm -hmm. and you have to relate to them and then bring that character across through the film Opportunity, but I've got to think a unique challenge. One hundred and ten percent. I remember I was in I was in Canada at the time shooting something else and 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 really focused on shooting something else and editing the, the movie. And um, I strangely enough during that time, like had a dream, no joke. And that dream was literally. I, I know, I know it sounds bonkers, but I, it was that I had a dream about Martin Luther King, and I found it very strange. And not more than a month later. I was uh, offered an opportunity to audition for Rustin. And when the Rustin came in, I was like, I don't know who Rustin is. And I had to quickly, you know, go and Google Rustin and and just understood that Martin Luther King and Rustin are paired in Martin's journey completely. And so in thinking to myself, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna audition for this person. 
and how am I going to get into this this place where unbelievable loads of people have done it before I'm walking in the shadow of like you know really great actors that have done it before and it was George C. Wolf, mate it was George C. Wolf that completely calmed my nerves and he said like you said the marbleized figure is not what I'm looking for I'm looking to put the blood and the soul and the, the quest back into Martin it's Martin at a younger time in his life where he's become this star but he's not yet become this icon and the relationship between him and Bayard Rustin is a really unique, quiet, powerful relationship that completely shifted what we understand Martin Luther King to be in terms of the what he used with nonviolence to actually go forth and be effective in the civil rights. And so to me, like that initially just calmed me down. And then I just completely focused and I decided to lean into method acting, you know, when I first day I arrived on set, everybody met me as King. In the voice, I, I would I would I would meditate and read and watch a lot of his interviews, just his interviews, not the big speeches, but just his interviews and of how he's smiling and how he's laughing and how he's interacting, the nuances of of his personality. And from there, I was able to kind of sit in the seat of his soul, and um, and just live, and then George would capture. You know, so that that was the first week there. That's so important because to get Martin Luther King in this movie, you're talking in small offices in uh, a living room Home settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quiet settings where the fullness that we're mostly accustomed to seeing for King, the large voice, the oratory. That's not what's happening. No. It is a quieter, sometimes more methodical. And early in the movie, unhappily for Bayard Rustin, borderline ruthless mm. in making a decision to accept a resignation that Bayard Rustin never thought his friend, his dear friend Martin Luther King, would accept. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. The story plays itself out, but it's a tough moment. Mm-hmm. And to capture and so, all that is 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 one of the essences of the brilliance of your acting in the movie, if I can be allowed to say so. That's very kind of you, man. Thank you very much. Um, I think it really helped as well. Me and Coleman Domingo have had a friendship for over a decade since a film we did called The Butler. And mm-hmm. so we were able to just kind of seep into this, this very well-lived-in friendship of laughter and joy and history and conversations that we've had for so long. And within the context of that, it, it kind of it, it sped up this idea of chemistry. And 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 you know, I was very clear for myself, I was there to support Coleman in the storytelling of Bayard Rustin, the unsung hero, um, to, to America and, and to the world. And so for me, that was the position I took. And from that position, we were able to just maneuver and move together, man. A lot, a lot, a lot of fun was had. Um, and um as it's just a special project. In terms of the Martin Luther King aspect of things, what I love about it is it humanizes that moment in his life where he's like, I have a decision to make. Will I be affected by something? Or will I make a what can be called a ruthless, calculated, um, or what you may even he may have thought of as the best decision at the right. time the movement because we have to look at through the context of that particular lens and the period of time we're living in and i love that the film journeys in a very nuanced way to um that 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 part of the relationship getting worked out you right. know what the reconciliation means to both of them and how that reconciliation is the fuel for the march on washington and its ultimate success and that they needed each other mm-hmm. you know king had the energy and 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 the oratory skills and by Rustin had the mind and organization was able to mobilize the people behind the scenes in a way that King couldn't being the central focal point. Tell me about the voice and how you pulled that voice of Martin Luther King into yourself. Wow. Well, listen, first of all, I got help. You know, I worked with um, Liz Himmelstein, who is, is a voice is a voice coach and I went to her house uh, in, in Los Angeles and um, 
And she really took me through the rhythms of how he speaks, not just when he gives the the speech, the, what is famously called the I Have a Dream speech, but, but how he speaks and where the root of his accent comes from, that actually he has Bostonian influences as well as Southern influences. He has traveled, you know, he's a, comes from a family where, you know, a well in that particular time, he's a, he's, he's a, you know, he's kind of the son of a wealthy man, you know, not necessarily financially, but in terms of the community. And so what that does to your voice and how it gives you confidence. And, you know, I come from a family uh, in the Caribbean, my dad is from St. Vincent and my mom's from Jamaica. And I come from a family of political speech writers. And so, you know, my version of that is actually, oh, I became an actor, but my my grandfather and, and father and uncles always give speeches. So that bit wasn't foreign to me, the art of actually giving a speech. Um, but getting Martin's voice down, there's a musicality to it that is um, that is rested and also a reflection and um, I'll tell you one story, actually, that, that I was thinking of when people have asked me, what's it like to step in issues? What's it like to be king? And because I was mostly always in that zone, I can tell you what I experienced. There's this idea of, you know, don't judge not by the, the uh, color of your skin, but by the contents of your character. And I said to myself, well, what does that actually mean in reality? What does that actually mean? And what I found it to mean it, it is delaying judgment of people, period. So it's completely and utterly being in the moment, moment to moment, engaged in someone, and you experience this version of nirvana. You've experienced this kind of euphoria over you. And, and you're like, oh my God, this is what it's like to really listen. This is what it's like to take my time. And that is what King did. And that's what I experienced during it, where I'm quite fast. My mind's always going, you know what I mean? But like for this, I was like, oh wow, it, this is what it's like to take your time, and that was the, that was a that was a real access point for me, deciding to slow down, not judge people um, in terms of what they're going to say, what they look like, anything like that, and just slow down and take them in. Right, because only at the dramatic conclusion of the movie do we hear Martin Luther King raise his voice, and he raises yeah. it in an exaltation at the culmination of his speech, which is now very well familiar to most people. Mm. In the film, though he's a preacher, he's the least preacher-like character in the film. <laughs> that's ironic. You know? I think that's the brilliance of George, you know, delaying that thing that we are waiting for, right? You know? Right. At times, Bayard Rustin sounds like a preacher. Elias Taylor clearly sounds like a preacher. Yeah. Um, Martin almost never does until the very end. And that restraint throughout the film, of course, makes that culminating moment all the more powerful. And so in your quieter, reserved, non-judgmental moments, all of that comes through what you just described. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Listen, it's been a great pleasure. We're going to talk to Coleman Domingo for two segments and Branford Marcellus. That's all coming up. Congratulations on the film. It must have been a blast to put together. I hope you're enjoying all of the critical acclaim it so richly deserves. Amelamine, it's been a great pleasure of mine to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Major. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to The Takeout and our Thanksgiving week recognition and celebration of a movie I urge you to watch because I believe 
in my heart you will thoroughly enjoy. The movie is Rustin. It's about Bayard Rustin. And we have, I'm so deeply grateful that we have Coleman Domingo, who plays the lead character, Bayard Rustin. Coleman, it's great to see you. Congratulations. I want to give you a compliment. So I'm a big fan of the movie Lincoln, in which you had a role. I think most of us who are fans of that movie believe, because we don't know what Abraham Lincoln was like, but we believe Daniel Day-Lewis came to embody exactly who we think Abraham Lincoln was. I don't know Bayard Rustin. I never met him. But it felt to me, sir, that you captured who he was, and I felt as if I was watching him. So well done. Thank you so much. First of all, I love that you just, the fact that you drew a comparison to Daniel D. Lewis's Lincoln, which I always, I've always carried with me because he really was watching him work. He was capturing the soul of Lincoln. So I, I sort of witnessed how to, how to be useful in that way and really give the soul of a person and no mimicry. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis still is my idealized, you know, he's Lincoln to me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what captivated you about this project and what you hope those who watch it will take from the movie. It's, he's such a fascinating man. He's such a fascinating thinker. He's very much an original um, that was marginalized in the history books because he was openly gay. He, um, there was... Everyone who who knows by Rustin or who knew by Rustin knew that he was usually one of the smartest men in the room, and he can organize and strategize and really um, work uh, all of his the way he knows how to work um, between between unions and coalitions to really get things done. He rolled up his sleeves and got things done, and so it was a travesty for the, the fact that we don't know who he is. You know, he inspired Martin Luther King. They were very close friends. Um, that was also sort of the thing that was always being challenged is their friendship and how, because of the way Bayard lived his life. Uh, but he also, you know, he also inspired um, a future president, you know, President Barack Obama. Um, Barack Obama said that there would be no Barack Obama if there was no Bayard Rustin. He was one of the greatest thinkers, organizers um, who inspired him. There are so many uh, great lines uh, in the movie. Uh, one of them early on is a conversation between Bayard Rustin and Martin Luther King. Own your power. Yeah. That's a, a very specific part of the movie with a very specific clarion call. But let's be honest, that's a line we could all use and well remember. Yeah, we can. I think that he was speaking that to a young Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King before the I Have a Dream speech uh, on the mall. So he was, he, everything about, he was supporting this young man to be exactly who he needed to be. Uh, so to, to force him to be, you know, to, to have that voice. And I think we need that. I think that's what Bayard did at his very best with young people inspiring to say that, Hey, you have agency, you have access, you can actually do it and you can change the world and make the world the, the place that you want it to be. So, um, we need that spirit. We need, especially right now, we're living in such dark times. And, and sometimes I think it feels hopeless for people, especially young people. And I think a film like this inspires and charges us to believe that we can make a difference because we've seen ourselves make a difference before. We just have to get the right tools. Right. And one of the things that I love about the movie is that it talks about something that can sound pedantic, organizing setting up typewriters here, phone banks over here, something on the wall to write on. All of that doesn't really feel that dramatic or exciting, yet it has a pulse within it and a goal before it, and you see it come to fruition, and you understand it doesn't happen without those fundamentals, without those sort of basic, non-dramatic things. Exactly. Organizing, to me, is sexy. That's what I've... I've <laughs> I've taken from this film that it's like, you know, you see, he's very, he's turned on by the possibilities of what we can do when we, when we all come together uh, for a great cause. And, and we have to be uh, attached to the details. It's always about the details. I think that's something that I, that's my takeaway of understanding, getting to know Bayer Rustin. He was very much uh, attached to the details because he knows that it's all the small things that help build, you know, and so we can get to that mountain together. And one of the other powerful and dramatic thematic elements of the movie is to help 
Those who may not know the history of the civil rights movement come to understand that it wasn't always cohesive internally, yeah. that there were genuine rivalries. Lots of personalities. There were some, there were some personalities, animosities, yeah. throwdown moments in which people were against one another, even though in theory and in reality for the same cause. And, and that's, that's, why you, that's why you needed... That's a human story. Yes, and that's why you needed that thinker and that 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 person like Bayer Rustin who wanted to coalesce and get all gather all that energy and galvanize it for one cause. That was his whole purpose of the March on Washington because he knew that SELC, the SNCC, the NAACP, everyone had their own way of doing things. That's very human. And then there's ego and there's, you know, uh, infighting, you name it, instead of actually, hey, let's all come together for this common good, the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. We can do it together. And you mentioned his erasure from history. Do you think it was that very movement that was at least initially most responsible for that erasure? Absolutely, uh, without a doubt, because I think that there's, I do know that I think with the fight for, you know, for, for civil rights, there was sort of um, a veneer, a way of being, of, pre- of presenting yourselves in the world, which is still a little very conservative in a way. But it was the way that they were, they had the belief that that's the way they move forward. You know, being openly gay, um, there's many things about Bayer Rustin I felt that, that were triggering for people and they didn't want to deal with. And so they basically would just prefer that he just did his work and went into the corner, which is in our film, you actually see that he was, when they're invited to the um, Oval Office after the march, uh, the big six, that Bayer does not go with them. And he understand he, it's a lingering moment, but the thing that is important to him is just to, you know what, let me go do the work. The way. So he became more attached to the work than the amplification of what he does. There's an exchange in the movie that talks about what you're just referring to Coleman Domingo, quote, the suffocating chains of Negro respectability. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's that's something that I think that he was, um, again, he was living outside the margins in many ways. He wasn't, he was black, a Quaker. Uh, he grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania. He played the lute, sang Elizabethan love songs. And he, uh, he, I don't know, and he was openly gay at a time when... And early in his life, he had some sort of low-level communist affiliations, which Absolutely. he then renounced, but that Absolutely. became part of the biography used against him in the movement. Absolutely, that becomes part of his story. Anything that keeps him from being exactly who he needs to be to help do the work that is greater than himself. We've got about 45 seconds, so we'll carry this into the next segment. How did you prepare for this? What did you watch? What did you read? I read, I, there's many, um, there's biographies, there's um, the Brother Outsider documentary, there's um, writings of, of his of his writings, his journals, of his essays, there's debates, there's one in particular of him and um, uh, Malcolm X that's fascinating. There is, um, there's his album of Elizabethan love songs and hymns. There's, uh, <laughs> there's uh, whatever I could put my fingers on to find uh, what he touched, but also you, I don't only research by Rustin, I research the times as well that he was living in um, to make sure that I'm building a whole human being who has to operate through this space and how he operates, um, you know, in his mind and his body, even his inflections of his voice and the accent that he created for himself, which was sort of this version of a mid-Atlantic standard. Uh, so um, he's a fascinating character. So I, I, I researched for about a good five months and did my homework so I can actually just be available and create this And I can tell you that electrifying human presence comes across on the string. And the reason is Coleman Domingo. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in one second. Stay tuned for a second before the take. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to The Takeout. The film is Rustin. Available on Netflix and in movie theaters around the country, the lead actor, Coleman Domingo. Coleman, um, was this a role that you could not live without, meaning when you heard it was available, you did everything humanly possible to land it? <laughs> no. I, 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 that, that sounds really intense. I, I, I don't operate that way, actually. I think I just I just had a faith and a trust that I, I had... I could use and access things and I have the uh, tenacity and the, the the spirit to want to tell his story. So I know I have the want and the desire. And then it, it came my way. I worked with George C. Wolf on my Rennie's Black Bottom. And, you know, I'm sure he knew that I wanted to take part and be a part of it in some way, shape or form. But also I wanted to leave it to George. I, need, I needed him to find the buyer that fit in his mind of the film. So uh, I just had to be patient. And uh, and just I don't know, keep it in my heart and in my mind, and then it, it came my way. So and then I gave it everything I had. To be honest, it, it was, it is, and was um, an experience and a role of a lifetime, truly, because he's one of my heroes. And it strikes me, having watched the film twice, that it is, in many ways, a a double love story that has components of disappointment exhilaration the one love story is the movement the march the pursuit to yeah. bring america closer to its definition of freedom but also byron rustin and those with whom he falls in love with whether temporarily or in search thereof and that seems to be parallel throughout the movie it seems and, I, and i think that's part of the thing that i love the most about our film is that we don't shy away from his wants, needs, and desires as a queer man. A lot of times I think uh, when working on a biopic, they would rather choose not to deal with that and just choose with his ideology and thought and organizing and strategy and all that stuff and let that be the film. But we get into the messiness of his life because it wasn't a very clean and pristine life either, but it helped build um, this complex idea of this human being who was just doing what was in front of him and trying to have love, trying to have uh, access and agency, uh, failing at times, especially when it comes to love, because there was no blueprint on how to have a relationship as a queer man at that time. There was a lot of danger, and you, you were trying to navigate and have love or like or sex or something, you know? And that idea of innuendo, that specter of innuendo, chased him everywhere, chased him even in his relationship with Dr. King. Absolutely. That was always something that people can use against you. You could always use, you know, in the 1960s in particular, you could lose your whole livelihood. You can lose your job. You could, you know, you could be completely ostracized. Talk about cancel culture. You know, they were looking, waiting for the moment to cancel anyone who was a known convicted homosexual. Each of us are taught in ways both cunning and cruel that we are inadequate and complete. And the easiest way to combat that feeling of not being enough is to find someone we consider less than. Less than because they are poorer than us, or because they are darker than us, or because they desire someone. Our churches and our laws say they should not desire. When we tell ourselves such lies, start to live and believe such lies, we do the work of our oppressors by oppressing ourselves. Strong feminine Hoover don't give a is all of us coming together and demanding this country change. Are they expecting my resignation? Some are, yes. Then they're going to have to fire me because I will not resign. On the day that I was born black, I was also born a homosexual. They either believe in freedom and justice for all, or they do not. When the movie Harriet came out in 2019, there were conversations about, well, it wasn't a great story of telling her, and there there weren't enough uh, 
historical references. It was somewhat shallow. It was kind of conventional. And I saw someone comment about that generally in a review saying, well, you know, in America, there are 30 films about George Custer. There's one about Harriet Tubman. So why don't we have 29 more films about Harriet Tubman and we'll have a whole range of things. My, my question to you is, would you like to see more films about Byron Rustin? And that whole idea that we can take people from American history who have been either erased or completely non-touched and do lots of films about them and take them from lots of different perspectives. You know, I might not be the right one to ask this question because I feel that uh, I, I like the idea of like, there's a great way in to a character in a story and then it's up for you to interrogate the rest i feel like i need to do my homework now i don't need another experience i think like okay. you have one but now it, you have to go and find some more what i think is important is, is stories like byard's but also the people like ella baker who's featured in the film or a philip randolph um other stories clee robinson there's many other stories and many other people who are unsung, unknown, who deserve their stories to be taken out of the shadows as well. So hopefully it's an opportunity like that. The people are like, oh, I, I want more of Ella Baker. Let's go through her lens. Wouldn't that be lovely? That'd be good for all of us. Thank you. Wouldn't that be lovely? Coleman Domingo, it's been lovely to talk to you, sir. Be well. Thanks so much for the time. Good, Major. Thank you. That concludes our conversation about Rustin, the film, available on Netflix and in movie theaters around the country. Stay tuned for your takeout outtake especial. We'll see you next week. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, continuing our conversation and, yes, indeed, our Thanksgiving week celebration of the movie Rustin. And if you watch it, and I really urge you to do so, you will understand very quickly that music plays a very important part in the propulsion, the backbeat of this movie. And that's all the credit of the person behind the soundtrack, Branford Marcellus, who does not need any introduction at all other than for me to say, Branford, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Majors. Nice to see you. So tell me about your inspiration for the music in this movie and why it is such a joyously noticeable part of the movie itself. Well, the, the 1960s were a turbulent time socially, but a fantastic time musically. I mean, if you look at a, a popular music chart in any part of the early 1960s, there's literally everything you can imagine on that chart. Uh, right. Novelty songs like Ray Stevens and uh, religious songs, country and Western songs, because it was country and Western back then. And uh, <laughs> R&B songs, it was just everything. So uh, the great thing about that time period was uh, there's a lot of things that work. And I'm essentially a child of the 60s. Uh, so it, it allowed me to, to go back and listen to and curate some of the music I grew up with. And the movie itself about a really important topic that has its deeply sorrowful moments, the civil rights movements, the setbacks, the, the violence, the suffering. Some of those movies have a bluesy or darker or slower musical tempo. Rustin has, I would say, by contrast, more of a jazzy, upbeat tempo. Uh, intentional? Uh, I... I... I really do. And I, I'm not being modest when I say it. I take my cues from from our director, from George Wolfe. And uh, I I think it, it it was intentional. There was a there was a, a really cool movie that I saw as a younger person called Once Upon a Time When We Were Colored. It was directed by Tim Reed, the actor who was famous for that TV show WKRP in Cincinnati. Right. 
And it received a lot of criticism because it shied away from the, the dark morose reality of being a black person in the South. And his explanation was, is that the dark morose moments are basically at best 5% of the time in the day-to-day -day lives of black Southerners. And I think George being a Southerner and myself being a Southerner, we understand and identify with that reality. So we tended to use music that really fit the characters and fit with the script was and not use the music to do some to, to do excessive moralizing for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And I may be reaching a bit here musically outside of my area of expertise, but I'm a huge jazz aficionado and jazz is both improvisational and collaborative. And the movie tells a story about someone who is an individualized impresario, but also who has to work collaboratively and has to orchestrate. And it seems to me jazz is the perfect vehicle to musically help tell that story. It, it really is, particularly jazz in, in that time, because jazz at that time was still, uh, it was still a cousin of dance music. Now it's a very distant cousin to dance music. So all of the musicians who were playing and popular at that time were born between 1910 and 1933 or 34. So they grew up in the big band era. So the music had that sense of propulsion that jazz was known for for a long time when uh, the sound of jazz and the beat of jazz was actually elevated above the improvisational part. And what, Branford Marcellus, is the fine line between having music that is propulsive but not intrusive in a uh, movie? It's, I mean, that's where where, where the, the director and the music editor come in. And uh, I had uh, two music editors on this project. But uh, the, the, the end result, uh, Joe DeBisi, did a really great job of uh, working with George because I, I I stay out of that process and I think most composers do because uh, it is George's film and he he needs to make what he thinks are the best decisions for the film without intrusion from people who have a vested interest in that part of the uh, the of the production. So I think they do a really great job of that and George does have really great instincts uh, about when music is is too intrusive or invasive to be honest. He does a really good job with that. Someone who's won multiple Tonys probably would have a very good sense of the blending of dialogue, drama, silence, and music. There's also quite obviously, and this is part and parcel not only of the era and the movement and those who are participating in it, Negro spirituals, to use yeah. a phrase of that time. That is a phrase of the time. I'm not speaking out of turn. They're there and they're beautiful. And Mahalia right. Jackson is there and beautiful as ever, as always, as permanently. Well, even in this time, I still call them Negro spirituals. So I, I don't know what else to call them. I haven't hyphenated it yet. So we'll, we'll roll with that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Mahalia was fantastic. Uh, her voice was, a was a, again, a clarion call for the country. Because when she sang, she stereotypically represented Black America. But when you think about her music in general, she represented the country she represented the united states of america and uh the spiritual fabric of of our country which is why i think her renditions of songs was so emotionally moving to people across the country regardless of race and what for you branford marcellus was compelling about this project this story and making sure that it landed as well as possible musically and otherwise well it's it's there's so many moving parts to 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 movies and uh, as a composer we don't really have control over most of them but i think that it's clear that the project arrived with a fantastic script and through the collaboration of uh george and the writers and the producers they came up with a script that tries to educate and entertain at the same time so that you leave with an uplifted feeling not a sense of you know, life is terrible, life is horrible. So I, I think that they did a masterful job of that. And the music is usually written 
once the filming is done, we work in post-production, not in actual production. And the trick is to write music that stays out of the way until it's needed. And I, I try my best to do that. And where I overstep my bounds, there's old George Wolf to like crack the belt and say, nope, do it again. And what's that experience like when you have done what you just described, then you see it married to the final product and you get to watch it. What does that feel like? What is that experience like? I mean, it's 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 always more exciting the first time you see it, but uh, I, I'm so immersed in the movie when I watch it that I don't, I don't focus on the music. The, the first time that I saw the movie in a, it was at the Toronto Film Festival. I saw it in, on a large screen. And that scene with uh, Ruby Bridges in the beginning brought me to tears. And the scene at the end with uh, Bayard Rustin picking up trash brought me to tears. And I can't say that it was the music that did it. I think the music helped. And the music was very, very simple. It was just both times. It was just piano parts, just a simple piano melody. But it was just such a, a great and moving film for me that uh, we had to do a Q&A after that. And I said, y'all are going to have to handle this because I'm still crying. So. It took me a couple of minutes to get myself together after that. So, And I can tell anyone listening or watching that if you take the time, and I do urge you to take the time, watch the film, you will by turns smile and possibly cry, possibly weep. It is that emotionally moving, that powerful. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is the soundtrack put together by our special guest, Branford Marcellus. It's been a pleasure, Branford. Thank you so much for your time. Be well. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you. You as well. Great to talk to you. We'll see you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. One, two... Three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.